Maybe you could do even more loud chores. <laughs> I feel uninspired for an intro this week. Do 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 do. Fields of work. Hey Sam. Was that a? Did you just? Did, did I kind of copy Seinfeld. Seinfeld. <laughs> over the side. You did. Uh, I, I heard the very litigious Jerry's going to be after us. Yeah. That's man. There goes all of my Seinfeld uh, references and bits that I was going to do. Um, I don't think you know. He's just, he's got bigger things to worry about. Than I guess this that's podcast. true. I guess that's true. He did play a mostly, bee at one point, so maybe he a bee which is which I feel like is farming adjacent. That's true. I was gonna say that he. I think he probably has enough problematic jokes that people could pull up from the past that he's got his own stuff to deal with. <laughs> oh, um, are you threatening like Jerry Seinfeld right now? Are you threatening him? <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying if anyone has free time, uh-huh. go dig into some some Seinfeld stand up. Wow. Uh, he's probably already got. Someone's yeah, you hear that, gone. Jerry? Back the hell off. <laughs> that's a threat <laughs> stay away from fields of work stay away from me and my brother um all right well, <laughs> Let's do that. now that we now that we have um poked the bear that is jerry seinfeld i guess we can start mm-hmm. the podcast max yeah. let's do a check-in round hi hi sam by the way oh wait yeah uh, hey this is fields of work i got <laughs> i got all messed up because you're the one who did the song this time I know. Uh, well, you, this is fields of work Whatever. a podcast about work and brothers and i'm a working brother named sam uh, and I'm a working brother named Max. I'm the farmer. No, you're the farmer, and I'm the consultant. You farm mines, you know? Is that what you say? Would you say that? Uh, I wouldn't say that, no. I don't think, not a mine farmer? I don't think so. I'm an, or, an organizational farmer. Would that work, mm-hmm. I guess? Boring. I mean, I think we've talked about before how we use the metaphor of a gardener sometimes when we talk about leaders and leadership in our work. So I'm basically up- the same thing as you. Yeah, and you bring up your younger brother as a good example all the time. I'm sure, always, uh, yeah, always. Because the best thing about your the best thing when you're using metaphorical language is to bring up a an actual example of the thing that you're using as a metaphor. That really <laughs> drives home the point. I think so. Yeah, you should, you can just try it. You know, and see. Just let me know how it goes. Max, if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? Whoa, Sam, was out of the blue. Is this a check-in round? Uh, <laughs> sure is. Um travel anywhere in the world where would i go i think i feel like we've done have we done this question before maybe we did uh, about vacations yeah. who knows we're only on the 40th episode and here we are just yeah. repeating content there's only so many uh, questions you could ask each other i mean we've got to be getting to the true. bottom of the barrel soon everyone knows that there's a mm-hmm. finite number of questions in the world mm-hmm. um i think my short answer would be basically just like uh, like uh, scandinavia the area i know it's not one specific That's location pretty broad but, you know, uh, I mean, well, all of okay. Odd. So here, hold on. So all of our Finnish listeners and our Swedish listeners and Norway-ish listeners and I think it's Norwegian. Norwegian. Wow. No, no, I like Norway-ish. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, oh no, that's like that's like ocean food, bud. <laughs> Welcome to the tea. <laughs> yeah, uh, but they're all saying that they're all hearing you say Scandinavia and assuming you mean their country. But they all, you know, they compete with each other, so you got to pick one. Nope, they're all right. That's what it is. <laughs> um, I think uh, Sweden would come in at top for me. What do you have first. against Finland? I mean, nothing, man. You just made me choose. <laughs> um, and I mean, I feel like 
well, I can only really name like a couple Swedish towns. I don't think they can really name many places in Finland, but you know what? I'm there. It's mostly there for the nature is the main reason. And I was going to ask uh, why why Scandinavia for the minimal I mean, fashion. It, it that's yeah. Did you used to read my blog. You know that's what I, <laughs> I know uh, things. That was the that was the fashion style that I was. Uh, Didn't you have a sweatshirt that just says like Norse on it or something? Uh, it was yeah. It was a T-shirt that was from a company called Norse Projects, which actually are they're based in uh, Denmark. But um, yeah, I think I mean back in the day and to this to this day, I still would say that I wear like a Scandinavian street style is what the the aesthetic was called. Um, but it is just very minimalist, earth toned, uh, very clean lines, a lot like their interior design, and everything else. Uh, in Scandinavia, and obviously, from what I've seen, beautiful, uh, beautiful country, and uh, you know, good hockey mountains. <laughs> obviously, I've staying long enough to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, don't I think know. that's. I mean, I I have not traveled much, um, but at this point, and during a pandemic, anything sounds pretty cool. Yep. Um, but that's that's probably top of the the list. How about you? You've already pretty much traveled everywhere. I've never been to Scandinavia though. Um. Been to Ireland, been to Hungary in Prague. Oh, yeah, Prague, Czech, Czech Republic, but that, none of that is Scandinavia. So oh, I've been to in Berlin, but that's also not far enough north. Uh, so I wouldn't mind going there. I'd like to check that out. Uh, but if I was going to travel anywhere in the world right now, other than going to visit you uh, or mom nice. and dad, all a given, obviously. Hmm. I all mean, cousins and all of our cousins and our aunts and uncles and our grandma and a grandpa and all my friends. Now I would go. I mean, I kind I like. I like beaches. Really? You're a beach? Wow. I'll wait. Sit, what? You're a beach vacation guy? I guess. Oh, yeah, I'll sit on. A, I'll sit on a beach all day. Because what I what I when we say beaches, what I'm not saying is doing athletic things in the water or on the sand i'm talking about laying on my back reading a book sipping a cold drink so and but the sand gets there and you, oh, you've got i know where i want to go 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 maldives okay brady heron that's exactly i knew when you said you like sitting by the water yeah. the first thing you know that's I had was the coolest up, looking to... place though like you like stay in those in the buildings that like are above the water <sighs> That's so cool. Unfortunately, it's impossible to get to. It's so far away. Yeah. But I would love to do it someday. Maybe honeymoon. Someday. Hmm. Emily, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> She's nodding. She's nodding. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Cool. Well, wait, you feel. Can I ask you a quick question then? Yeah. Even though this is not. Yeah. Of the places you have traveled, do you have a favorite? Since you've, you've hit up quite a few countries. I know you did different things in all of them. You were yeah. playing hockey in one and, you know, school in another and traveling just for fun in other places. But. Yeah, I think um, for straight up vacation, I mean Turks and Caicos is hard to beat. Like incredible weather right on the beach. Oh right, you know, got you went there. Yeah, it uh, was pretty, pretty great, pretty restorative, pretty leisurely. Um, that's probably my favorite place. But it's, probably, it's the most exotic place that I've been. Gotcha. Can Welcome you, to our can new you podcast. Hear that in the background? Uh, can you hear Emily in the background? Just no. going to town on the Soda Stream, just <laughs> pumping it full of CO two, like like three stream. times more than a normal person. Mm-hmm. That's because she just wants to be She's on the podcast maniac. so bad. I know. She's a maniac. She knows you're saying. I was going to say, welcome to our new podcast called Privilege. Uh, yes, <laughs> talk about travel. It's called, it's called <laughs> Rich White Guys. Um, or, yeah. mm-hmm. Farmers notorious for their travel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. Here, I'm going to change the question a little bit. If you could farm anywhere, would you want to? Like, where would where would you want to farm? I mean, 
this actually like people assume this is back to Sweden and Scandinavia and stuff that uh, a lot of you know the, the agricultural zones of those places would be you know like, like northern Canada like way up there but because of I don't know if it's just the, the oceans or just the actual way the different uh, the jet stream everything it's not as cold as you'd expect in, at least in like mid to southern um, Sweden which is a mm-hmm. giant country actually um, Scotland has palm trees. Same. See, see, this is the same agricultural zone actually mm-hmm. in Stockholm in that area as uh, I think it's actually a zone seven, like almost what I'm in Tennessee right here. Wow. Um, maybe zone six. But um, so I would I think that'd be a really a cool place to farm. But actually, in terms of like a place I'd like to farm to learn more about like small scale farming like this, I mean, even though it's a big European thing, this type of farming, you know, originated, they say, at least in France, this market gardening, um, Japan has a really, really Ooh. cool uh, small scale agriculture history that still uh is i mean still a lot of their farms are not as industrial and as giant as um we have here in the united Mm -hmm. states obviously part of it's just land and what they have available but they've really um mastered some really really cool farming practices on a small scale um i think it'd be pretty awesome to farm there um cool but who knows maybe maybe woofing someday or something i can go check out some of the farms of some other countries but well, you have to you have to learn the language because otherwise you won't understand the vegetables. That's true. Because mm-hmm. we know that that actually a lot of my job is speaking to the vegetables. Yep, that's how you learn to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max, what's going on at the farm this week? Well, you know what we we teased this last week, and everyone's been wondering what's the tr- what's the what's, what's the trellis update? situation. I guess people won't <laughs> leave me alone. They're saying, "Sam, I uh, want to know about Max's trellis." Like, like fill me in. Like, how does Max doing with his trellis? Max, please uh, give us that trellis update. Well, Sam, the trellis <laughs> trellis is installed, and like I kind of predicted, and I think I said this might happen. It was an all day affair. I'm not going to get into the boring, boring nitty gritty of why that was other than I may have mentioned that like. Are you just bad at building stuff? No, no. It was a read an order of operations that like if you were building a brand new hoop house, you would have done the trellis early on in the build. Um, And essentially there were things already on the hoop house, um, basically the, the channels that hold the plastic to the hoop house. Um, you would have installed the trellis before that was on, before any plastic or anything was on. Um, and, but that has already been done a couple of years ago when they built these, and I was kind of retroactively installing this trellis. Um, so I had to do a lot of just like hammering and bending and swearing and trying swearing to get is this. Swearing is a key step in all building mm-hmm. projects. It is. It gives you a little bit more strength. And mm-hmm. I got through those types of issues. It also doesn't help that when you're doing – trellis or doing hoop house work like this you are inside a hoop house and of course i didn't save this for like a rainy day or anything i was just trying to get it done and i was just burning up in there and as you know the the more frustrated you get and the sweater you get the sweatier you get the the more and more angry everything makes you well i think it's good for you to spend a little time really empathizing with your tomato plants like now you know what they feel like in the hoop house I think they like it though. Maybe they don't. You tell me they don't like <laughs> the hoop house. Am I Maybe. actually finding out right now that tomatoes hate it? Yeah, They're actually growing is agony. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> really puts uh, a whole new kind of valence on your whole profession, bud. Well, I mean, if you really want to get dark with it, when you're harvesting a tomato, all you're doing is stealing its offspring, basically. You know, true. that's. They're the next generation. Organs. That's why they produce them. What and if somebody came by and stole your reproductive organs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be wild, man. I would definitely hate it. 
Yeah. Well, definitely. we learned one thing last week is they would they wouldn't do it in the rain. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They they wait for a nice dry day. Um, oh my god! So it's I got, got gross and dark. <laughs> so I got the trellis installed. Um, Good job. We talked about how that was one of the, thank you one of those tasks that had been kind of hanging over my head. Um, didn't necessarily you know what I think it, I even knew it going in. It wasn't going to be the hardest thing ever. Um, it was just the taking the time to do it. What's and the hardest thing ever? What's going to be the hardest thing ever this year? What are you I, most see, I don't fearing? Know. What am I most fearing? I, hmm. You know what it is, really? I keep talking about the ticks down here, man. I'm really scared of the ticks. Are you going to become like a pro tick boy? Ticks and snakes. Well, they talk about there's type of tick down here. And I mean, there's the normal deer tick, whatever, you know, the bigger ones, the ones we used to see in Kentucky. Then there's something called a sea tick. I think S E A tick. Like an ocean tick? I I don't know why. Tennessee is very landlocked. Um, Anyways, they're like tiny they're like like the tip of a pen like they're just like these little dots so oh, they're man. really small and apparently they're you know more likely to just be in like regular old grass and not necessarily like always like in a forest or something and they just you know you can feel them kind of like burning as it's like fire ants almost like where they're biting you and stuff and the really? basically like getting them off involves basically hopping in the shower and like brushing off your body and like if you have a lot of them on you um I don't know if they do the whole attaching thing that like a big deer tick uh, does, but either way, I'm very upset about hearing it when they told me about it. No uh, one told me that before I took the job. Uh, <laughs> it was too late. <laughs> I did know about the potential to see some snakes, which again, well, snakes not, are great. They're cool. They eat mice, which is great because I have I was having a mouse problem. Um, well, a snake, a snake problem. problem. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I don't know which but, one is know, better. It's one thing. You know, it's one thing. To see like a snake in Michigan every once in a while, it's like ah, oh, this snake is most I mean, likely it's almost not always venomous. a garter snake. Yeah, exactly. Um, down here is not always the same thing. Copperhead, so I think copperhead and cottonmouths, which are two. They got the river there, so there's those them river snakes and a lot of lot of rocky outcroppings that snakes just love. Um, so there'll be. I'm oh, sure what will happen so is much. we're gonna. Sub- What's that? You're gonna get bit by ticks and snakes. Flossy, that's already be- happening. Yeah, that one already happened. And um, so I think what's going to happen in the summer is we're going to swap out, you know, probably like flossy corner as things hopefully mellow out, which they kind of have this week, um, to replace with, with the snake, <laughs> the weekly snake, snake update. Yeah. Um, but that's anyway, not a task, anyways. though. So you, okay. So you don't have like a specific task that you're like really dreading? No. And I was going to say, I mean, I have talked about this way back in the days of the early days of the podcast that every season has its thing where you look back and go like, Either one, like that day was awesome. Like what a great, a very memorable day for some reason, whatever. It was just a task you enjoyed and a great conversation or something if you're working with coworkers. And there's always the task where you're like, well, I will never forget that day on the farm of that season. And usually every season has like a day that just like sucked. And you know, I'm going to have to ask you now, what was last year's? See, I'm trying to remember what last year's, I, uh, I kind of remember. Or any other, or any other year. Yeah. So, I mean, I have some, hopefully I'll have better experience here. I've had some bad sweet potato experiences what does um, that mean you know you don't have a bad sweet, you don't have a bad sweet potato experience you never had one uh, <laughs> what it means is uh sweet potatoes grow under the soil like a normal potato but unlike Thanks. a normal they, I, don't, you, I don't know if you need to start at the, the very bottom the very brass tacks here we got that Okay, I mean, do you? I think there's some <laughs> things that we have slowly realized you don't know about food. Fair. Um, anyways, they grow into the soil, but normal 
potatoes, when you hill them and everything, they stay like very in the, the central zone or right where you expect them to be. Sweet potatoes spread and sprawl underneath the soil very, very far out, what? which means usually you like you'll find a lot of them right around where the plant was originally planted, but then you'll slowly kind of follow um, these little like, you know, part of the tuber, um, like farther out and you're like, Oh my goodness, there's a sweet potato all the way over here to the right. So one, you never feel like you're getting them all, which is very, Oh, that's gotta drive you nuts. It does. And every now and then you'll be like, and you do it with pitchforks. If your soil is really heavy, which usually it is that time of year, it's like October. It's things are starting to get wet. You're like, it's cold. You're trying to get the sweet potatoes out and every you're using a pitchfork and then you're like, you'll be like, Oh, I'm just going to check farther out to see if I missed any. And then you'll find one. And then you'll just look back and think, how many how many more are back there like how many more am i leaving behind <laughs> um, and the other thing which is true for anything when you're using like a, a a pitchfork to help kind of free it up it's just statistically more likely that you are going to pitchfork a nice big potato <laughs> and so you'll be like digging up these like small little ones and it's like oh whatever i dug up these smaller ones not that big and they're like push down in a spot where you're like there's no way there's one way over here i'm just going to try and loosen up the soil and you'll just hear that sound of like <laughs> Going right through the skin of a, a sweet potato. I did potato. not expect your like memorable bad day to be inadvertently spearing really nice sweet <laughs> potatoes. You are a true like a farmer at heart. I was expecting like, oh, the weather was terrible, or like a caterpillar <laughs> as big as my arm like bit me, uh, or like yeah, a snake you know was in my boot. Um, <laughs> but no, you you were spearing good sweet potatoes <laughs> with a pitchfork. That's so <laughs> awesome. Are, That's so wholesome. You. I was going to say there are other ones that are like, I mean, like we've talked, like there are ones that are weather based, you know, wind, wind we all know the things wind, apart. Yeah. Um, but I had, I remember my first year farming, like I remember digging up um, carrots, like there were storage carrots. So we were just like harvesting that, you know, just the root, the greens were kind of already kind of dead. You break off the green, wash it, and then you store them for the winter. Um, but we were out there digging up just huge, like 200 foot beds, really long. Three of us were out there pitchforking and it had been raining and it was just very, very cold and wet. It was probably like, 28 degrees outside and we were digging them up and the soil was just like cake. Your hands were just coated in, in mud to the point where you just felt like you were wearing like big mud mitts <laughs> and you were trying to break the greens off the top with these muddy fingers and hands and things were just starting. And then it started to snow and like sleet sideways. And we were just out there like digging up carrots and it just started to th- you sat there at the thought like, is is this it? Is this what is this worth it? Is this is this why I, I do like this? carrots? <laughs> and uh, and then there was a similar uh, harvest experience. Usually it's like a, a big harvest with bad weather or something, and that was um, digging or harvesting cabbages. <laughs> and it was again a huge bed of cabbage. Um, each cabbage is like pretty heavy. They're they're nice, which is great. It's a great crop. Like you're doing a good job. But we were wearing these over the shoulder kind of like harvest bags. And it was super, super muddy. And we were, you know, you cut the cabbage head, drop it in this bag. Well, you know, the bag's only going to hold like eight to 10 cabbages before you have 40 pounds hanging off your shoulder. And so you're like, like carrying slopping. bowling balls around. You're basically harvesting yeah. bowling balls. And you're like slopping around in the mud trying to get back to the trailer where the bins are that we're emptying them into. And then you empty your thing of bins. You have to like turn around, slop all the way back out there. And it was just another one of those things. It was just like it just felt like it, it took days to do it, even though I know it was just an afternoon. Yeah. Um, so I have no idea what is the incident's going to be this year. You know, could it be uh, a, a wildlife based one? It could be. <laughs> it could be coming out and discovering that like deer got past the fence and ate you know fifty percent of a crop. It could be 
I feel like we need to have like a betting pool on what it might be. I mean, I'll throw one one option out there. I think you wake up one morning and Flossie's looking in your front door. <laughs> That's better than what I thought you were say like Flossie's inside the house. Well, nice. that would be a particularly bad day, but I was more so picturing her just like standing at your front door and not letting you outside. <laughs> I'm like sneaking out of the roof and like trying to jump down. And yep. uh yeah, that's you know what that, that's a possibility. Um, yeah, I can't I, I can't even guess right now. So far, right. <laughs> everything's been going pretty well. Um, I'm sure what'll be one of them will be. It was so hot, and I had to do this task, and it was 100 degrees and humid out, and I was just you know. All right. Yeah. Or a version of that is going to be like you have to harvest something, and you're like sick. Mm. You're like, yeah, that's I possible. have to get out there and get this stuff in or else like something bad is going to happen and you're going to have like a 900 degree fever or like be pooping out of your ears. <laughs> that's also – yeah, put put money on pooping out of ears. That's, <laughs> um, so anyways, so we'll see. It's exciting, everyone. Hang yeah. around. Find out, you know. Never <laughs> Hang around. Find out how Max's life becomes terrible. We'll, we'll talk about the good things too. Every year there's yeah. amazing crops and things go well and have great experiences. Um you know, today I'll say I'll use this as a transition. Today I had a pretty great experience, which was I had been talking about how at this farm we have a walk behind tractor. It's mm-hmm. a small scale version of you know an actual riding tractor. It can have a lot of the same implements. Um, it's, it's very common. I always call it a BCS because that's the brand. Um, but they're really common on this scale of farming. And I had used one like three times at another farm. And then I put it on my resume that I had used to BCS because that's what you do. You, know, you got to make yourself <laughs> See, look as good There are things that are common in our, in our work experiences. And yeah. borderline <laughs> lying. lying on resumes. And you're so corporate. Thank you. Thank you. And well, here's the thing. Like I knew roughly how to use one. I knew that there's a million tutorials and stuff on YouTube of a Figure lot of farmers out, yeah. using them. This, How hard the small scale farming community, exactly. The small scale farming community is very big on like ton of you know videos out there and instructional content and things like that. So I thought you know like I could figure it out, but I was definitely a little worried because I just I just wanted to one does it does it work well? It's pretty new, so I kind of figured it would, but like. Will I be able to to do all the things I need to do on the farm with it? You know, will I be able to make my beds? We kept saying like I was digging these beds by hand, but I've been wondering. There's an implement I think that I could do this with. Is that actually gonna be possible? Because if it's not, my back, my oh my poor back. <laughs> like, yeah. If it's not, I'm gonna have myself a terrible time. Or you know, will this thing will this thing work the way I want it to? So this morning, um, Bill across the street came over. Um, he's way more mechanically uh, and. Uh, competent than i am and so i wanted him there um, but i had spent a lot of time watching uh bcs videos last night and really thinking like okay i think i've got a decent Isn't grasp that, on that, it that, that south korean um boy band <laughs> i don't know was that actually what's the what's the actual i think it's i think it's bts band. i think <laughs> i think you're right yeah um yeah, they make, they make like um okay. And uh, anyways, so we, we fired it up and it was running great and he kind of showed me the, the mechanical side of things and um, just drove it around and, and put different implements on and, and just got a chance using um, using it in the fields. And it was just really satisfying one to like, OK, get a, just get my, my brain wrapped around it and know like, OK, I can I can do this. How is it own. different than a rototiller? So the, one of the main the rototiller is just an attachment. So imagine if you took what you see as a rototiller in someone's garden, someone's using it outside. Um, it's 
It is that, but the BCS itself is actually the motor and everything up front. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it has, so to get technical real quick, it has a PTO shaft, which is what a big tractor will have. It is paid the time thing off. That is paid time off shaft. It is the thing that uh, that makes the implements do something. So if you're there are so attach- many attachments on their website. Yeah, it's incredible, right? Um, Holy so cow! That's, that's that's why this thing is so versatile and incredible. You know, construction companies will use it. Landscapers, farmers. You know, it's power really ridge, power harrow, plastic mulch layer, flail mower, which sounds like a medieval we weapon no, we have thing. That. You have a flail mower. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rear tine tiller. Which sounds like a nursery rhyme. Rollerblade <laughs> flail mower, hay rake, sickle bar mower, chipper, shredder, buddy cart. Right. You can have a friend. So anyways, um, it, it's a, you know, it has a PTO shaft, which basically gives it the capability to drive different, you know, things, whether that's moving it's, the tines a power of a potato digger. You don't have to have a bad sweet potato day. It, it, it works on sweet potatoes, but not as well, um, oh, again, okay. because it, that does really well with normal potatoes because they grow right where you expect them, right, but it's right, hard right, to. Right. All right, I'll stop that. interrupting you now. Okay. Anyways, you go look them up, everybody. They're spiked just, you know, wheels. They Sorry. Would say spiked wheels? Yeah, they have spiked wheels. Looks like look like uh, like if you were a punk kid and you wanted like those bracelets with the spikes on them. They kind of mm-hmm. look like that. Interesting. <laughs> um, does it say what that's for? What do you have spiked wheels for? I don't or if it's know, just better see. traction and different soil types. Anyways. Great option uh, for mowing on steep slopes. Oh, there you go. Yep. Um, so, are you done interrupting me or can I keep no, talking? I'm not. You can keep talking. I may interrupt <laughs> you still. Okay. I'm really enjoying it's, their website. It's, anyways, it's a a tractor that you have these handlebars that you can you control right. and push. And implements can go on the front or on the back. Um, you can move it around every direction like that. You can offset the handlebars so that you're not walking in your bed if you're bed prepping. All these different things. For he, at this farm, we have the rototiller attachment, the flail mower, um, the power harrow, which is another type of tilling, basically, and then the rear rotary plow are the four main ones. And I know what I'm serve. getting you for your birthday present, though. How expensive <laughs> yeah. are these things? These things are very expensive, aren't they? There's something here called a mowing sulky. Oh, it looks like oh, a little a, chair. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, you got to yeah, get this. Oh, it's $795. I can't swing that. I'm sorry. But I would love to get you a little chair for your walking mower. Thank you. I appreciate the sentiment and the idea. Um, so I took it out to the fields and and used uh, three of the implements today. I tried the power harrow, the rototiller, and the the plow. Uh, I have nothing here to flail mow right now currently. Um, and it was just it was just nice to, to, one, see what the process was, see how it works in this soil. And then the, the nice thing being this actually started to make – my the farm looked like a farm you know this is right. the uh, rototiller is taking these this pretty compact soil that's been sitting all winter um and and i can actually get it into the shape of my beds and it's kind of what i was doing by hand but this really like actually polished everything um so i did that today for for about half of the no not less than that a third of the farm two of the fields i tilled everything and got it looking all pretty um so that was just another thing like a Really, a monkey off my bed. Just like really worried about, not worried, but just like, right. I need to, I need to just do this. Just an unknown. Um, yeah, definitely. And so that's taken care of, which is awesome. Now it really opens up like the tasks and stuff I can do as well. Now I know like 
if I was sitting kind of twiddling my thumbs, like, well, I could dig some more pathways. Now I know, like, okay, I can get the rototiller, go out to the fields that are dry enough, like, till up the soil and start shaping these beds and getting them ready. Because just because you shape a bed doesn't mean you need to plant it that day. I mean, if I get it shaped and prepped and in the right, you know, basically I can just cover it up or let it sit. And I'll, you know, when I need to plant, it's there all prepared for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, I was, and the reason I was rushing a little bit today was because we've had a really awesome, finally, after some insane rain that we had about a week and a half ago, um, a really long dry spell. And that just means that every field on the farm, um, for the most part, is pretty dry. I didn't get to all of them, but I'm basically just racing the rain because we have rain coming on Friday. So just trying to get as much done as I can before Friday um, to feel like I got things under wraps. But that being said, it's also still really early in March and... Um, there's still plenty of chance for frost and other things. There's no, I, d- I don't need to put the cart before the horse, but, um, don't need to put the sulky before the walking mower. Yep. Exactly. That was exactly what I was, that was exactly what I was thinking. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yep. Um, as they say, so that's, as, as the, as what is to say. Um, so that's kind of what, where I'm at now. So it's just been a lot of, uh, making the fields look less like random weeds and, and cover crops and things are growing and, starting to kind of visualize uh, kind of what I have to work with, which is exciting. And um, That's cool. also the, the, the hoop house, I've, or I've continued starting um, seeds, you know, more scallions, more head lettuce, things like that. Um, and the starts that are in there are all actually doing surprisingly well. We had mentioned that, you know, I'm, I'm not starting these in a heated greenhouse. This is um, an un, right. no extra passive solar. Space. Yeah. Uh, I do have heat mats, which go actually on the surface that you put the trays on top of. Not enough for everything, but enough to certain crops really like the soil to be at, you know, 85 degrees. Well, it might be that during the day in there when it's sunny, but at night, the the temperature really drops down. But these heat mats will keep certain trays up to that temperature, um, which is helping me germinate some tomatoes and some peppers and things like that. Um, So a lot of things that I was just really, really anxious about, my mouse was eating some stuff in there. I set out some mouse traps, caught one, which I thought like, okay, that's probably just the start. Um, But he may have just been a lone, (laughs) a lone soldier. And um, so I'm not having the mouse problem that I was having. Uh, So everything's coming up max right now, which is great. great. That means Um, you're due for some bad news. Yeah, definitely. Um, but who knows? We'll see. Maybe it's just a, a year without bad news. That'd be pretty cool. I feel like 2020 was enough bad news for everyone. I feel like we're all good for a while. Yeah, we should be, right? Yeah. I, I so. hope. But um, I think that's it. I know everyone's everyone's sitting at the edge of their seat. They're getting through all this this BS so they can hear the Flossie update. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest – Flossie, we're not cool. I didn't do any of your crazy things that you told me to do. I didn't get in there. I didn't get on her level. Um, you didn't, well, sit on a, didn't sit on a chair backwards with your hat backwards and mm-hmm. just have a hard time? No, no. But I also didn't kick her in the chest or anything because I didn't have to because the past couple times that I've gone in there to collect eggs, at least this week, um, still definitely not like pleased that I'm in there for sure, like not not loving it. Um, but but keeping me at like a, a, a kind of like a like a chaperone at a school dance, just <laughs> watching from a, like a, f- a few feet away. But I can leaving, tell making sure you're leaving <laughs> enough room for Jesus. Yes, exactly. And so she's she's watching, but she has not like full on rushed me to the point where I was having you know before using the lid of a trash can to. Yeah, it push. was sounded it was pretty dire before. Not gonna it lie, it was. Yeah, I could hear dark. the 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 fear in your voice. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what Mom, I did different. Uh, Mom brought up an interesting thing, though, and I think we should Mm. briefly explore this. I think there may be a genetic component to your fear of birds 
Because do you remember when mom and dad came and visited you in the saga of the rooster attacking our father? Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for dad when he told us that at the Airbnb they were staying, a a rooster um, came at him aggressively and mm-hmm. and forced him essentially back into the Airbnb where dad screamed a lot and kicked and yelled at mom to close the door because the, the rooster was trying to get in. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I can sympathize more because these a rooster roosters don't need to be provoked. They just they can just not like the Sperlin face. I think it could uh, just be something in the Sperlin men kind of genetic code, where like we have somehow our ancestors have encoded some sort of really just negative experience with birds, and now we're very much on alert. Yeah, I guess I I would love to know where that you know probably dinosaurs right it probably goes all the way back to dinosaurs. Yeah, probably our ancestors hanging out with dinosaurs. <laughs> That's what I would say. Yeah. Would be my first guess, um, but it could be. You know, I, I would love to test it out on you if you could come over and uh, just get in there with Flossie and just see what sure. happens. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I don't think uh, the stupid bird would scare me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna play that for her. Uh, it's <laughs> out on Saturday, and we're gonna have a good laugh about that, and then uh, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. And the hard part is, you and I, you know, we look so alike. That what you're probably going to say is that Flossie thinks you're me and that's why she'll be acting aggressive towards you. So we'll make sure we do a good job disguising you uh, so that <laughs> she won't pick up on it. But the other thing I should say is uh, we're getting way more confident that uh, Flossie is Sir Flossie. <laughs> Flossie's um, a dude. Yeah, we haven't, we, haven't, we haven't solidified that yet. We haven't changed the birth certificate, but um, – we're getting, we're getting this. Well, she feeling. seems to have difficulty kind of dealing with her feelings and her emotions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the evidence is kind of pointing in that direction. Yeah, definitely. And so, and you know, no eggs yet. And, Th- that and also, I guess that, we're past that window. But the feelings thing is probably really what we're basing it on. Yeah. Um. So I'll <laughs> keep everyone here. Everyone maybe, maybe she's so upset and angry because she's just got got an egg stuck in there. And it's really bothering her. Um, well, that's why months. you gotta go. You gotta pick her up and squeeze it out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. That's how I it mean, works. like, here, Do you ever see cartoons? Thing, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, that works. I was just gonna say that that one. She looks really soft. She does like look like real nice and fluffy. Those those down feathers, you know. Yeah. And two. Make a jacket. The wingspan. <laughs> the wingspan of a goose. It's kind of it can it's like a small person's, and so mm. hugging. All I'm saying is hugging Flossie seems like it could actually work, um, but I don't think you know she's gonna let me get that close. But I can see if you were close with your goose, how that would maybe be an enjoyable experience. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think I think there's videos out there. Maybe it's not geese where people will like, and the goose will like wrap its head around their neck and like put it on their swans. And it's swans. Oh yeah, no, yeah. totally different. <laughs> yeah, what what is the difference between a swan and a goose? So is a swan just a classy goose? Confidence, yeah, no, it feels like it. Hmm. Um, upbringing, probably, you know, yeah. nature versus nurture. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but that's it for me. That's that's the uh, that's the West Glow Farm update. Sounds like a <laughs> good week. It was. It was a good week. Uh, I, I guess. Well, it's only Wednesday, so who knows? Well, I mean, I was including the end of last week and that's the beginning of this right. week is an entire You're week. Right. It's, been, it's been a good week. Um, Nice. No, nothing too big on the horizon uh, for next week. I think I'm, I'm planting my first things out, out in the field uh, that won't be under protection, you know, of a hoop house. So um, we'll see how that goes. If, if if I can get some stuff in the ground, what's the first thing in the ordering. ground? It's gonna be uh, kind of the same stuff that I planted at the hoop house, which is arugula, radishes, and turnips. 
Um, maybe that week I'll also put some carrots in. I was a little apprehensive, but then I saw a farm that's way farther north is planting carrots already hmm. out in the field. So I might just go for it um, and see. So that might happen as well next do week. Do farmers have like a um, like a thing, like a ritual they do for before they put the first seed in the ground? Do you like kiss it or like do the sign of the cross over it or something? You just you eat, you eat a little bit of dirt. Take a little bit of the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> or the sign of the cross. Gross. Uh, I can right. pick – this is the other thing. We could pick something. I could do something. I think maybe uh, you should try to start something. You should have like a, a thing that you do for the very first thing that you put in the ground and the very last thing that you take out of the ground. Okay. I think you should salute the seed. Salute <laughs> the seed. The yeah. first – like hold yeah. it in my palm. Just kind of give hold it Hold it and then give it a salute. No, you put it in the ground and then you salute it and then you carry on. I think, I think also like, maybe you should make like a little like get like a popsicle stick and say and like write like first seed and like stick it next to it or maybe I something a little that. bit but first seed but in Latin okay because then it sounds cool it does um, I was gonna say is there like a good I don't want to play like the national anthem but is there like a song where I could maybe just stand there at, at and salute this the seed after and then play a song but I don't know what that would be what's a real farmery song you know something by Springsteen probably. Probably. Yeah, I wish I had a, a, I don't, my, my knowledge of songs with the word seed in it is um, limited. <laughs> I don't think I have one, but uh, give me time. Give me a couple of weeks. We'll come back to this topic. And I, I'm distracted because now I'm going to Google Translate and I'm going to type in first seed. Oh, in Latin. You oh, know, no. This is- Primum semen. Oh, not great. Not um, great. I could have, you know, at the farm last year, this is the perfect opportunity for me to talk to Hayden, who is a Latin teacher. Mm-hmm. He could be he could be telling me there's probably a beautiful phrase out there. Uh, I'll yeah, have to ask him. Maybe yeah, it's probably not not first seed. <laughs> probably not first seed. <laughs> All right. Well, well congratulations on your week. You know, I'm also a farmer. Thank you. I sent you yeah. a photo. Did you grow? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You're farming for sure. My plants are bigger than yours. At you know what height wise you got me beat you've got me beat. Uh, what do you do. what are you growing? What are you are they growing in water? Are they yeah, it's like a, so it's an arrow. It's called the brand is called Arrow Garden. It's like a hydroponic thing where basically mom and dad got it for my birthday actually for Emily and I's birthday and you um, it's like a basically like a tub of water and it has you buy these it comes with these like seed pods which is like they're like kind of long cones um, mm-hmm. with a little bit of soil that I think like expands once it gets wet um but like hardly any soil at all and a grow light on top of it and um we're growing some herbs right now and they sprouted right up real quickly and uh i have been enjoying some fresh basil and thyme mostly basil because basil grows incredibly fast it's almost alien like how quickly basil grows uh, so i'm gonna tell you now you want uh, you want a hot take on are you harvesting your basil by the leaf or by the stem Dude, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like you're just like breaking a leaf. I'm just off like breaking it. stuff off of it. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I, I know there's probably like a philosophy of pruning. No. I messed up my one basil because I pruned some of the lower leaves, which now I just have this like big naked stalk with stuff on the top. That looks stupid. I wish I could like delete the middle <laughs> part of the stalk and make it go short, but that's not how it works. That's <laughs> not how it works. Well, I'll send you. A, I'll, I'll send you a little video of how you should harvest it. Basically, uh, basil grows. You know, if you look at the main stem. And then you'll see, like, you know, where the two leaves are coming off the stem. Mm-hmm. If you were to cut the stem, the main stem, above those two leaves, 
two branches would come out of like a Y out of hmm. the by, by each little leaf spot, and they'd kind of keep forking, you know, like a like a can family I, tree or something. So can um, I do that on my big naked one then? If there's like a spot where down below or where there's two leaves coming out. Yeah, if there's if there are two leaves coming out, there, it should like produce two suckers there. I, I wouldn't try it. Do, I like, might need well, to do that because it's it just looks awkward and terrible. And this is it's like gonna just largely an aesthetic garden. Uh, so <laughs> add your nail of that part. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. I'm surprised how quickly this thing uh, grows. But I guess when you're giving them basically as much light as they can possibly tolerate, and you know, plant food and you know, premium growing conditions. Things grow fast. You're just telling me I should try that, huh? For this whole guess, farm, probably. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You have to get a lot of extension cords outside, I think, and they're not. I don't know if it's the most cost-effective way to grow things, but if you got like a, I don't know, a thousand of these and plugged them all in and got them outside, and kind of side by each, then you'd probably be good. Can you imagine if someone comes like, oh, I really want to go check out West Globe Farm? You know, I've been buying from the <laughs> farmers market. But yeah, come on out. You just come out here. There's just cords error not even just like not even organized just cords crisscrossing <laughs> just tripping and falling like duct taping things down yeah no, no, no. Would you, you want to see my tomatoes i'll come see my tomato room come here yeah <laughs> yeah um so. so yeah i just wanted to kind of throw that in your face real quick actually no i'll probably be asking for advice because you know as i said my plants look weird S- you have stupid basil is what you're saying <laughs> yep but uh, how about your actual job? Anything, ha- anything happening there? Or are you just you mostly farming now? Uh, you know, farming is taking up most of my time. But there's other stuff, other stuff going on. Um, I'm gonna do a better job looking back at the last week and picking out things that are at least of moderate interest. So one of the things that came out of uh, the retreat that we didn't talk about, even though the retreat was a couple of weeks ago, is that I think I think we've talked about how we do internal initiatives during the mm-hmm. retreat, where basically anybody can pitch an inter pitch a thing that we should go do, um, and how much money it should it'll take to do it, and then um, we kind of we kind of build teams around those uh, initiatives and go and do them over the, over the trimester. Um, so I pitched an initiative that I'm calling the Ready Journalist Initiative. But the basic idea is that we have, um, you know, we are primarily, almost all of us are full-time consultants, and our client projects are um, very time-consuming and just kind of all-consuming. So we don't, even though we all talk about the importance of us taking the time to write and getting stuff out into the world because it's a useful marketing thing. And also just useful for us to have articles out that we can share with actual clients as well, like when we are talking about various concepts. But we just don't do it, and we've never really done it. So I pitched, um, and, and I don't remember how much I said, a couple, couple grand an article for me to basically set aside um, some time to interview some of our various project teams and figure out um, some interesting stuff that they would write if they had the time. Uh, But instead, I will do kind of all the interviewing I need to get to understand what it is that they did, whether it's a interesting insight that they um, had at a client or they took a piece of our IP and tweaked it in an interesting way or they have a case study that is worth writing up. And I am basically going to be like an internal journalist uh, to write up those stories and publish them in our various um, 
primarily our medium publication. So that's up and going and is the the one internal initiative that I'm working on over the next uh, next trimester. So that's that's you are the only you are the only journalist I am, as I am the yeah we basically get set aside what I think what I promised was four articles by the next retreat so essentially one a month uh, for the next four months um, and basically it was like maybe one of the cheapest initiatives it was just setting aside a, I think like a couple grand for me to write each of these uh, articles yeah you're cheap you know <laughs> cheap labor yeah no and actually I mean generally I think it'll I we we actually we have like a philosophy on this in the sense that the reason we do this is that this internal work um, is important, but we aren't necessarily prior to this system. We're not really incentivized to do it other than just like being like out of the goodness of our hearts, essentially, which only mm-hmm. gets you so far. And we all kind of go above and beyond all the time because we're a small company. And we all just have to pitch in and do stuff, but. You know, this is maybe not the best example, but the the Ready Journalist uh, initiative, I mean, but things like training and our hiring process, like those are internal systems that need to be built by somebody. And they all started as internal initiatives where we set aside some money to pay ourselves to like actually do uh, do that work. So we do yeah. believe in like paying ourselves to do this, um, this internal stuff because it's important in it. If it's important, it should be compensated like it's important. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll never get done or done to a, a very great quality. Or <laughs> yeah, it's easy to put sure. off if you're not. You know, you're not going to be paid for it. Yeah, um, exactly. It's it's it kind of puts some skin in the game. And if you you know if you took if it, basically by me pitching this uh, initiative, you know, my and my uh, colleagues voting it up as a thing worth doing. Um, you know, I was making. I'm making a commitment to them to do this thing and to spend this money wisely and, and get it done. It's exciting. It should be fun. You, I've been you... wanting to write more anyway. Um, so this, yeah. I've been looking for ways to, to, to do that and kind of this external pressure, um, positive pressure, but definitely kind of deadline pressure, I think will help me actually, uh, actually do that. Sweet. Yeah. You already have, have you have you have some ideas and things already in the works, or I guess I, I, the ideas yeah. are coming from other people, which is well. Nice. <laughs> I mean, there's at least one idea. I'll, one of the articles will probably be from one of the projects within my current client. Um, not even necessarily yeah. something I've been intimately involved with, but I think it's fine to have one of the articles be something that is I'm at least quite familiar with. And then I've talked to a couple other project teams about some ideas that might be knocking around within their teams. And then I had one of my colleagues in Europe. Um, he wants to he wants me to interview kind of their biggest um, their client. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not stakeholder, but like their club, basically the person they worked with the most closely on their latest project and interview her around like what we did and what they learned and essentially write up a case study from that project. So I'll be interviewing them in a couple of weeks to figure out what the actual specific angle of the story might be. Nice. It'll be, uh, I think that's, be fun to bring back to the podcast i feel like also because this is kind of actually for once a nice look into like what is going on within the ready mm-hmm. and things that you guys are like you know willing to share or give actual some like concrete like you know for a case study that's kind of you know yeah i think 
when people are unsure about you know what the process is that you guys are always doing specifically obviously it's different based on the client but i think a case study of an actual uh, uh within the ready would be kind of interesting to see um so hopefully yep. we can we can dive into some of those as yeah for as sure. you write them. We we some more we pressure, man. Definitely do more that. pressure coming. No, from it's not pressure. This is um you know if being able to write a piece of content once and then use it in multiple locations, that's that's even more motivating. So I'm all that's I'm all true. about that. Um, other things going on. I I got to uh, break out my uh, my teaching chops uh, today. And mm -hmm. I was asked by our internal training team to facilitate uh, one of our our sessions um, for our new members. We have four new uh, members who are going through our training program, and one of the sessions is on what we call operating rhythms. So they asked me to to guest facilitate that. So I ran a ninety minute session with our new uh, prologue members on on that concept, which was which was fun, and I kind of felt like. I was sort of in the classroom again. I mean, not really, because my colleagues are much smarter than the high schoolers. I, uh, I oh, taught, easy. hey, Christina and Joey. <laughs> you taught me Louis Spanish one day. And Max, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, but it was fun. I, okay. Well, then, obviously, I have to ask, mm -hmm. could you uh, give us a synopsis of what operating rhythms or what this yeah. specifically meant? Or do I need to be an employee of the ready? To, no, you uh, don't. No, I can explain to, this. Uh, so, I mean, an, an operating rhythm um, is basically just the the cadence of meetings, of various types of meetings that happen at different intervals to uh, allow a team or an organization to do their work. And we generally consider, I mean, there's lots of different, there's no like one right way necessarily, but most uh, teams and organizations who haven't really thought about their operating rhythm don't really have one, or if they do, it's kind of ad hoc. Um, and we teach a suite of four different uh, meeting types. Uh, one is called an action meeting, which generally happens weekly and is all about, it's a really structured way for a team to uh, get quickly up to date on what has changed since the last time they met. Uh, but then more importantly, make sure we are really clear on the work that needs to happen over the next week. And we're really clear on who's going to do it and that we leave uh, the meeting um, really clear on on basically how the work is going to get done. There's other interesting stuff around the action meeting that maybe I can touch on um, later, but that's the basic idea of that meeting. Uh, another one is um, we call a retrospective, which is just on a regular cadence, usually at least monthly, um, monthly every month and a half or so maybe, just getting a team together to reflect on how things are going, um, what's going well, what's not going well, and what does that uh, tell us about what we might want to, to do differently. Uh, which is, again, it's like a really powerful thing that most teams don't really make the time uh, to do, or if they do, they don't really do it in a, uh, in a structured way. Um, and then uh, one more is we call a governance meeting, which is basically a team getting together every month, every month and a half, maybe two months. It really kind of depends on how quickly, um, kind of like what the metabolism of the team is but a governance meeting is when a team um, comes together to essentially um, make agreements about 
um, how we work together and make and change agreements about how we work together using this really specific process called integrative uh, decision making, um, which is kind of at the core of um, what we call like participatory uh, governance. So everybody kind of getting a say in it and and having a consent right to the rules or the agreements that they are um, are operating under. And then the fourth one, I don't know why I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's been a very, very long day. I obviously had notes uh, in front of me. Hold on, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Does that, does that make sense? Much? Oh, strategy yes. meeting, quarterly. So a strategy meeting is um, a, a meeting type where we try to get a team together to look at and steer their strategy on a quarterly basis, whereas most corporate um, entities are doing it like yearly at most. Mm-hmm. And a year is a, is kind of a tough time frame to do much of anything. Like on the one hand, I mean, the way it, the, the reason it's usually a year is because it's tied to the budgeting cycle. And mm-hmm. that, I guess that kind of makes sense. But if you think about it, like a year is too long to be like particularly motivating um, in terms of like, oh, we're going to go do this thing. Like, oh, like a year is like, it like, feels like a long time. But also it's not really long enough to think really big about what we're going to do differently and, and really think boldly about our strategy. So we advocate that teams develop a thing called an essential intent, which is beyond the yearly cadence or beyond the yearly time frame, more like three to five years or two to four years. Really, uh, are those are statements of like where we're trying to go as an organization. And then... Once you have those in place, looking at quarterly outcomes, which are much much tighter time frame, it allows you to be much clearer, and you're you're kind of modulating between that that longer term view and that extreme short term view, and then coming together every quarter to look at those and update your make new outcomes, update your essential intent if you need to, um, and that is a um, I've done a ton of these meetings at my most recent client, um, and they're they're a lot of fun um, and. Yeah, so that's what we that's that's the basics of of an operating rhythm, at least in terms of like the meeting types. The reason why we even talk about that though is that the way an organization meets tells you a lot about what they care about and what they value. And because most organizations kind of treat meetings as the default venue for where all work gets done it gives Mm -hmm. you um, if you can make meetings even just a little bit better it can have a hugely positive uh, outcome for the organization so we very frequently even though we're not just like meeting intervention people we often will do will do work in meetings very early on in a transformation project just because there's so there's often such low-hanging fruit there and with something like an action meeting a team usually has like a weekly staff meeting anyway that's probably terrible. And an action meeting is a good way to, we can just take the staff meeting and make, turn it into an action meeting. And if you do uh, an action meeting for a few weeks, you inevitably, the team inevitably starts to poke at some of the other things that we care about more in terms of organizational transformation. Because there are yeah. things that we do in an action meeting that will start to, the team will start to ask themselves, like, these projects that we look at in the action meeting every week, are they the right ones? Like, how do we know that we're actually doing the right work? And then we can then say, oh, funny, you should ask. Mm-hmm. You know, funny, you should say that. Maybe we should do a strategy meeting. Or in an action meeting, they'll keep bumping up against some 
weird friction about how they're working together. And we can say, hey, it sounds like we should do a retro to like really understand what's going on here. So the action meeting is one of my favorite Trojan horses into actually doing real transformation work in uh, an organization when initially they think we're just like making their weekly staff meeting better. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, and I think this is brought up a lot in Brave New Work and such too, but like the number one thing I feel like you ask anyone in a somewhat corporate environment of, you know, what they hate and what they have too many of or what is causing them problems is usually like, well, I'm in me- I'm in meetings all the time. Like it's meetings, meetings and email. Yeah. It's top to bottom. Like that is what that's it's meetings all meetings all the way down or email all the way down. Yep. Um so I mean I mean just changing that alone is something that I think anyone that whether that's you end up with a few less meetings or the meetings you have to go to actually feel like they're they're productive yeah, they're and better and something. More yeah. effective for sure. Not me though. I don't do meetings, man. To no. me and the plants. It's kind of a meeting. It's kind of a meeting. Uh, I'm a lot. What else do I have on my list here? I mean, I'm I am working on a thing right now, which is kind of nice in that I would say the vast majority of what it means to be on a transformation project is that you actually spend a ton of time in meetings because that's just where we interface with clients the most. Mm-hmm. Even if we are helping them have less meetings, we're in all of their meetings basically. But yeah. for the last couple of months, my sub project within this larger project that the client has been more of an advisory project. So it's not a transformation project in the sense that I'm embedded with a team necessarily. It's much more kind of hanging out with this leadership team and making things and being usefully provocative and You're helping coach. out where You're I coach can. The GM. Yeah, basically, I, you know, basically a coach of this team, but has given me a decent amount of white space to work on a larger writing project and, you know, not to go into too much detail because we're kind of getting ready to run long on this and I probably can't talk about it in specific detail, but essentially this organization has been developing a strategy for months at this point and they're getting to the point where it's going to be quote unquote done. I quibble with that because a strategy is never actually done, Um, but they're going to be moving kind of more into this implementation phase and the tendency of most large bureaucracies is to think the hard work was in the development of the strategy and that once they have it, it's just a matter of like doing what it says. Like it's not that hard, right? Like we, we know what we want to do and now we just have to go do it. And in reality, that's actually the much, much harder part. Uh, so we, I kind of just threw out this phrase meta strategy the other day when talking about this with the, the VP who's leading this, which is the strategy for implementing your strategy. And Mm -hmm. that's really kind of just another way of describing what the ready does in some ways. I mean, I think I've talked about the, the origin story of the ready and Aaron's previous company undercurrent and how they were a strategy shop basically. And they realized that they were doing this great strategy work and giving it to clients and having it be really smart and everybody agreeing like, yeah, we got to go do this and then nothing ever getting implemented. So Mm -hmm. that's what this client is about to be on the verge of doing. So I'm trying to write a thing to provoke provoke them into thinking about this differently. And that may turn into a project. It may not. I'm kind of unclear at at this point. But it's just been fun to dig into a multi-page kind of white paper project, which is something I haven't really had the time or space to do the last six months or so. Does that just – is that – white papers that just mean like you are just like big sheet of paper like kind of like putting it all out there or what what is what is i honestly don't know why it's called a white paper it's basically like 
a report or like okay. yeah just like a you know it's gonna be it's gonna end up being like three to six pages long probably with some images in it and it's just gonna be written it's gonna be written in my voice which is pretty conversational and narrative like because they read enough corporate bs every day so i'm gonna yeah. write it in a really easy way to grok but try to pack some smart things uh in there that make them think a little bit more carefully about what they're going to do next probably some good jokes and like puns and stuff too honestly i uh i think i open it with a quote from mike tyson so wow that's a good start yeah i think right. it's the, the one I, about the one about getting punched everyone has a plan until they get right, punched they get in the punched. mouth <laughs> yeah. that's a that's a good quote though it is a pretty good quote. and i feel like i've heard it most through merlin man uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says that but um okay i know where we are running long can we touch on your your last little bullet point real quick? Is this a is this a new thing? Your morning writing experiment? I'm into week is two this... of it. I'm basically holding from seven to eight a.m. every morning to write something, whether journal or something that eventually becomes public or a larger thing. Um, just trying to really use some of that literal space, but also attentional space that has been freed up from not being on Twitter to mm-hmm. just start chipping away at building a sustainable writing routine um and so far it's going pretty well nice you know i noticed i didn't get a, a email from the deliberate this uh this weekend but you didn't did you not someone did you someone on one? Saturday? Oh no oh no i don't normally ever <laughs> not get that oh i wonder if it like hit your spam or something no i sent one last saturday oh, oh man i'll, I'll find it this is good this is this wow see. wow at least you know I'm reading it, right? Well, now, now <laughs> this is actually useful information. If it's landed in your spam, you got to tell me, and I can figure out why the heck. Okay. Well, but, uh, yeah, I'm doing it. it. And like, there's, and there's with everything that I do, you know, there's a lot of thought that has gone into, and maybe we can talk. We'll talk more about it next time because I will have been doing it for two and a half weeks at that point. But I have done a lot of thought about what do I actually like? Why seven to eight a.m.? Why not? I get up at six, so like, why not six to seven or six thirty to seven thirty? Mm-hmm. I have experimented around this timing a lot, and I think I've figured out that seven to eight is actually the best. And all of the scaffolding that goes around, um, like getting me to actually do this, ranging from giving myself that time, that first hour to kind of do what I want, um, to what I'm listening to while I'm working in, uh, on it, what I'm working on, um, kind of how how I am just like the mental quality that I'm trying to bring to that time. And namely that it's not even really about quality. It's about like sitting down for 60 minutes and just seeing what I'm able to work on. And if that means Mm -hmm. I spend, you know, the first day one, as you can imagine, I wrote a ton. I think I drafted like 3000 words. Um, And then other days it sometimes it's just editing or maybe it's taking notes on something that might turn into a longer piece, but really having a, a pretty liberal definition of what it means to write um, and it's more about just kind of making that time as sacred uh, as possible. And so far, so good. Uh, is this ever actual pen to paper? Or is it always digital? It's almost always digital. I mean, today was kind of a hybrid in the sense that I wrote with my Apple Pencil in an app on my iPad longhand. Uh, uh-huh. But it but it was digital, I guess, in the sense that it was on my iPad. I do have a, a, a paper journal here, and I haven't this what week, if, but I will yeah. sometimes write in that. What a time to be alive, you know, when you can use your Apple Pencil to know, write right? almost as if it was paper and pencil. Almost um, as if. I'm just, so you, you're telling me you sent out a number 43 on March 6th. I believe so. 
deliberate. Uh, last one in any of my emails is February 27th. What the heck? Well, we'll have to ask some other people to see if anyone else got it. Otherwise, this might just be the forgotten, forgotten one. Maybe I'm. Maybe I didn't get it. Oh, we're gonna maybe... we're gonna troubleshoot this real briefly right now, live on, on the, the air. On the air, everybody. This is what this is what Sam does. Logging in. Hear... <laughs> is this through Logging Mailchimp? In. What do you do? Yeah, Mailchimp. Okay. Can't shout out, but maybe not. We'll call it. We'll say maybe not a shout out to them. Yeah, if they, uh, they dropped we'll the ball on this. Probably. Probably. Number forty three was sent. One hundred twenty nine opens. Sent to 311 recipients. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, it got sent. Weird. It, it wasn't even like I accidentally deleted it because I, I checked all my checked all my inboxes just to hmm. see maybe maybe got junked or something. But hmm. that would oh, be. Wait, hold on. Maybe. Wait, what number is this? <laughs> God, this is the worst end of a podcast we've ever had. Oh, what Saturday, kind of March sixth, number forty three. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, Doc. We'll figure it out later. Hey, this has been uh, this has been Fields of Work, and also um, the deliberate. Oh, um, I found it. It did go to junk. I don't understand why. You want to junk? All right, tell it to not go to junk. Say not junk. Say say hey Gmail. This is not junk. This was lovingly crafted by my big older bro, and I love reading this. Is there is there a button for that? I think there's like a button <laughs> for like not junk. Oh, you mean for all the other stuff? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. for all the other stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I want to say mainly. Well, hey, you know what? <laughs> this podcast is a success because we just rescued my newsletter from your junk file. We did. If you, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you don't subscribe to Deliberate, <laughs> first of all, what the hell's wrong with you? Second, check your spam. You, if you didn't see it, check your spam folder, please. Okay. <laughs> well, there it is. Are it's we done? Good episode. Did we do it? We did it. I think we did all it. Right. We went well, out with a with the bang. All right. I'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya. <coughs> oh, what was that? <laughs> yeah, I got a little bit of a clearing of the throat of it holding in. Ugh. Yeah. Did you like that? No.